Well, hello there, loyal listener. This is the part of the show that you would normally hear something like this. This is Ryan Bell, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore. However, I have nearly run out of those particular submissions. So if you'd like to join in the fun, even if you've already done one, you'd like to send another, call 657-464-7609 and say something similar. You can also email us a voice memo to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Thank you in advance for your participation. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the big show, episode 124 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I, as always, am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. I'm fighting a sneeze right now, <laughs> so I was scared that I would, the first thing that was going to happen was a sneeze. We're starting off great. Yeah. That is awesome. Sorry. I hate that. By I, I the way. think it's gone away now that I'm talking. Does that help? <laughs> talking? Yeah. I don't know. I used to, whenever I needed to sneeze, I would punch myself, not like full on bore Whoa. in the nose, but any kind of knock in the nose would make me sneeze as a kid. Hmm. And I remember walking around on my sixth grade. I don't know why I remember sixth grade specifically, but my elementary school uh, playground. And if I ever felt a sneeze coming on, that wasn't, you know, that's the worst feeling in the world when you've got a an impending sneeze that doesn't want to make it out. Yes. And I would just kind of lightly kind of, I, I don't want to say punch because everything's, I'm not I'm really just going crazy like Jim Carrey in the bathroom and liar, liar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I would just kind of knock myself in the nose and it would bring it on. It would... It would no longer be an impending sneeze. Okay. Yeah. So self-injury is the best way to go. Not necessarily. You can't just stab yourself in the leg. That's not going to make you sneeze. Okay. Well. I wonder what causes that. Because that really, it was, it worked. It would work. You're a genius. Come on. I think everybody knows that I'm a genius, Brittany. You don't okay. need to say it. Okay. And that embarrasses me when you say stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> So speaking of sneezing, you're done with your very first year of grad school. I am. And that has nothing to do with sneezing. It doesn't. <laughs> I I was just going to skip over that point. But you're done. Complete. I am. Finito. Yes. First year, done. Waiting for grades. Waiting for grades. So the anxiety, you're typically very riddled with anxiety. I think I've mentioned that on previous episodes. And you're not... It's not completely alleviated because now you're waiting for grades and you have particular classes where only one thing from the entire semester has been graded. So you're just waiting in this flux period to find out what your final grade is. Yeah. So grades are due on the 22nd. And so they have about a week left. And in one of my classes, um, only 300 of a thousand points have been graded. <laughs> 
So really, it's just going to be all graded at once. And surprise, this is, is how you did. Which is a bummer because if you were on the wrong track or not doing something that the professor liked or didn't like, whatever, you had no idea until the very end. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bummer. It's not ideal, but hopefully I think it's it'll also, be okay. I don't think it's unique to your situation. I think that's probably the case for a lot of people in, in a collegiate atmosphere because professors don't just have one class they're teaching. They have many, and, you know, they're generally not completely on the ball related to grading. Yeah, another frustrating thing that I have found at the graduate level, all classes are plus minus grading so yeah. far at my school. I don't know if that's generally the case. Someone can write in and correct me if it's not. Um, but plus minus grading sucks because like an A is no different than an A plus. Right. But like a B and a B plus are different. Right. So an A plus is the only one where you don't get an additional benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I want something extra. Yeah. Well, it is kind of a humble brag. Not even a humble brag. It's kind of, you know, hashtag white people problems, hashtag first world problems. It's hashtag conscientious student problems because <laughs> you're bitching about the difference between an A and and an A plus when many would be like, well, fuck you. You're getting an A. Why are you complaining? But I I mean, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I do. I'm not shitting on you. I'm just saying you might want to curtail those 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 complaints around certain people. Okay. Who... Well, I don't often have these complaints. <laughs> okay. So there there you go. I don't often have this situation going on. Right, right. Um, but for a particular class this semester i do have that happening so well i i have uh given you some advice on how to deal with that how to engage the professor oh that's for a different class this is oh so it really is a common problem for you <laughs> no so you have two separate classes that you have an, uh, a possibility of an a plus but you're more than likely just going to get the a no no, we're not going to get Now you've this. just painted yourself right into a shit corner. No, no. And here's here's the other thing. I checked in at school the other day and I said, um, you know, finals, hashtag save me or something. Yeah. And someone commented on it and said, hashtag first world problems. Yeah, I don't think that's a first world problem. And I was kind of confused by that because I didn't know if they were essing on me or how to take that, I guess. Well, no, I think it's... So, I mean, I just... Anytime I complain about finals, I know that it's not like a serious thing, that there's other serious problems going on. And I'm always thankful for the fact that I have an education and that I can go to school. So I don't want to be sounding like a douche when I'm when I'm saying that about finals. Yeah, I don't think that it's a first world problem necessarily because a first world problem. I think that hashtag is overused. We'll just say that. I, I think that oftentimes... What is meant is something more specific because first world problems like, oh, the tap water that come the clean, pure tap water that comes out of my tap. It's not really as cold as I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. That's a first world problem. Or it's, it's I had to wait in line. I had to. What's that? I said it's definitely not as cold as it should be. <laughs> or, well, how would you know? You don't drink tap water. It's one of the reasons I don't. Because <laughs> I need my ice icy water or i'm waiting in line at the starbucks for seven minutes when i really feel like it should be more of a three minute wait 
Mm-hmm. That's a first world problem. Yeah. It's really not even a problem. It's shut the fuck up. You're in you're going to Starbucks in your car. You don't have to get out. Okay, let's get back to plus minus grading. So <laughs> No, another thing that sucks about right. plus minus grading is there's variation in what is an A minus to an A. So I've had professors where the cutoff for an A is a ninety three. Oh, you mean even at the same school there's a difference? Yeah. Oh, so wow. between professors. So I've had professors where a ninety two is an A minus, but a ninety three is an A. And then I've had professors where a ninety three is an A minus and a ninety four is an A. Yeah, that's the way it should be, I think. In my mind, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six should be A. 97, 98, 99, A plus, and then, or 97, 98, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 93, that's A minus. Uh, <laughs> I don't like you. Um, it's just pretty high. No. It's a high A. It's getting up there, like 93.5. So, you think 90, 91, 92, A minus, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, A 98, 99, 100, A+. Plus. I think 93 above, A+. Plus. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow, you're, uh, you're really reaching for the stars, you know Brittany what? Page. So you don't, you think plus minus grading is great? I do, well, I don't. It doesn't really affect me, so. Okay. What are you going to so do? So you don't have empathy for things? I that... don't. I, I okay. think that, listen, hashtag first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, I'd like to hear other people's thoughts about plus minus grading. I would like to hear that as well. I know it's kind of a nerdy and boring topic. I'm I'm sure that some people are riveted. I mean, obviously, usually about everything we talk about, we've got half our audience who is pounding on their dashboards in their car driving to work and move on to the next subject already. And then the other half is, oh, yeah, this is super interesting. So, you know, you can't please everybody. But if you'd like to sound off about this particular riveting topic on Plus Minus Grading, 657-464-7609. Again, fewer than three-minute voicemail. You can also send us a voice memo from your smartphone. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Before we start, I want to thank everybody for the ratings and the reviews on iTunes. We're not going to continue to talk about this. I... I I like to space out us hassling the audience to do things for us. And I just want to say thanks. It has been uh, a great response. And for the last time for a while, I will say, if you are listening to this show right now and you haven't rated or reviewed us on iTunes, go do it. It's Really, it takes about a minute and it would help us tremendously. So if you are listening and you haven't done it, get your shit together and go help us out. See, I was under the impression that you were going to be taking a break from harassing the audience. I thought that's what you had said. Starting Surprise, now. Surprise, <laughs> harassment. Okay, starting now. And begin. <laughs> also, Brittany, I would like to thank our latest patrons on Patreon. Yes. Uh, very helpful. Very appreciative of that. And your stickers are on the way. And I'm sorry that you just started... Uh, as a patron, and and then we start talking about plus minus grading. Things right. are, things do not <laughs> look good. We will get it together. Okay. Actually, let's not overpromise. Let's underpromise and overdeliver. Let's say, look, this is pretty much the quality of the output that we we give. So just get used to it, and then if we happen to give anything better, they'll be pleased. What do you think? 
That sounds is great. Is that a better plan yeah, of action? Is, mm-hmm, of course. But I do want to say this. I want to ask our patrons specifically on Patreon, but I would also like to ask the audience, what would be a good incentive other than, you know, this quality of mediocre programming? Um, what kind of a, a bonus or a gift would be good for patron for Patreon? Because would it be like a, a Skype hangout, a personal thing, or would it be some kind of a group hangout? I mean, what would be a, a good, lock of Jesse's hair? Good, yeah, there's not much. <laughs> I, I have a very short haircut, so well, I'm not losing we, it. We're not saying where the hair needs to come from. Oh, wow. Brittany Page going below the belt. No, not even no that. No pun intended. No, not even that. It's just, you know, you are a hairy oh, man. Oh, like beard hair. Yeah. My fecal covered beard hair. Right. <laughs> anyway, look, I'm not giving up a part of my body well, for any amount of money. Okay. I mean, I might for thousands of dollars, I might give the end of my pinky finger. What? But we're talking, we're talking cash money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Untaxed, good times. Under the table. And only the tip. I'm not going to give a whole finger. Because giving up a digit, that's a big deal. So if we have any wealthy benefactors who'd like the tip of a Jesse D finger. Why would anyone <laughs> want that? Who knows? It could be worth money one day. No. Yes. But let us know on that also. 657-464-7609. We talked about the last couple episodes, George Zimmerman and his run-in with a with a dude who shot at him through his window in his car, and I guess some glass sprayed back on his face. Can glass spray, Brittany? Apparently. <laughs> and he was injured. Well, apparently that in- individual who shot at George Zimmerman has been arrested, or at least at the very least charged for multiple crimes. Matthew Apperson turned himself into authorities Friday and was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, and firing a deadly missile into an (laughs) occupied conveyance. What? Yes. Firing a missile. Mm -hmm. What what the hell is going on in Florida? Into an occupied conveyance. (laughs) So... It would be a different charge if it was just into a vehicle that was unoccupied. But because there's a person in it, it's a it's a different trumped up charge. And it's a missile. It's not a bullet. Yeah. So apparently Zimmerman and Apperson have had this ongoing feud. They've had several run-ins with each other, several road rage incidents. Yeah. Uh, sometime last year, Apperson called the police and said that he felt threatened by Zimmerman. So... He decided to shoot him this time, and that did not go well. Sometimes you just got to take care of biz, Brittany Page. Yeah, that did not go well because now he's facing these very serious charges, and nothing happened to George Zimmerman. He still exists. Well, here's the deal. He's not following the George Zimmerman method of dealing with an assailant because George Zimmerman well knew and understood that dead men don't testify against you in trial. So... Trayvon Martin was not able to give his account of the events of that day because he was dead. So had Matt Apperson finished the job (laughs) and killed George Zimmerman, maybe in Florida, the outcome would be different. Yeah. I mean, he would probably still face a lengthy trial. But, you know, it seems that you can get away with murder in Florida and... This is obviously, like we've talked about, kind of a reversal of my position because after having seen several incidents with George Zimmerman, like I've talked about, 
Um, I've come around on my opinion on him, and I think he is a he's a menace. He's a fucking problem. So, also a little bit of follow up, coincidental follow up, actually very odd. Five thirty eight dot com, the home of Nate Silver, master statistician. Uh, they have apparently a uh, an advice column that I think I think it's odd, but I think it's super interesting because you can write in, ask what's her name, Mona. Yes, dear Mona. You, you can ask dear Mona a question, and she will delve into the 538.com vault and find a data and statistics supported answer. Well, apparently, and this is related to our cousin fucking topic, when there were arguments before the Supreme Court about gay marriage, uh, one of the idiots said that it would lead to the ability of people to marry their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And which led us to talk about the fact that California is one of the states where you can marry your first cousin. Well, someone wrote in and asked about, maybe they listened to the show and wrote in and asked what percentage of marriages involve first cousins. Yeah. So they said, dear Mona, what percentage of marriages in the U.S. are between first cousins? All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, an estimated 0.2% of marriages in the United States are between individuals who are second cousins or closer. That means there are about 250,000 people in America in those relationships. Now, she knows that the person who wrote in was asking about first cousins, but most of the research that she found uses second cousins as the benchmark of consanguinity. Consanguinity. So I'm assuming that would be, well, I know sanguinity, that would be blood. Sanguine. So it's, it's intermarriage, just a word for intermarriage. Okay. I like new words. I like to figure it out. So, well, that's interesting. I think also maybe they only have data or... She's able to pull data from second cousin marriages because people are kind of embarrassed of the fact that they married their first cousin. You know what I mean? So people are more open to talking about marry marrying a second cousin. D does she go into detail about what exactly a second cousin is? She says it's someone who shares a great grandparent with you. That's so weird. I don't know how any of this works. I've always been under the assumption or the understanding that a second cousin is... If one of my first cousins has a child, that child is my second cousin. But I guess <laughs> I guess I'm wrong. So it, if you share a great grandparent, you're second cousins. Yeah. Because if you share a, a regular grandparent, you are you are first cousins because if you 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 have the same grandparent. Think about that. That's your first cousin. And then if you have a great grandparent, so it would be a that w I guess that would be second cousin. Yeah, yeah, that is right because I'm thinking about the only um, second cousin that I know, and he is the You're talking about Kentucky, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the kid of one of my dad's mom's sisters. Wow, and so, she, so he's your aunt's cousin. Yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> see this no see this is why this is too much work it's just it's too complicated well, then what is and i don't expect you to answer this question maybe somebody in the audience can what is my cousin's child my first cousin's child what the hell is that i mean they're a human but is what relation are they to me like your second nephew no they're not a nephew because that would be my brother's kid or my sister's kid would be a nephew okay 
Anyway, I, hey, I put a call out to the audience, 657-464-7609. Let us know what that is, because obviously I don't have enough time to Google it. <laughs> okay, so the estimate that 0.2% of U.S. marriages are between people who are second cousins or closer needs to be treated with plenty of caution, says Dear Mona. For one thing, 25 states ban marriage between first cousins, and another seven states have restrictions on it. For example, in Arizona, first cousin marriage is allowed only if people are 65 years or older. <laughs> Or if one is unable to reproduce. Right. Well, that would be the 65-year. You have a far less chance of, of pumping out some three-eyed bucktooth kids, you know, if you marry your sister or something. Right. So those laws might make some individuals reluctant to say that they are in a consanguineous relationship wow, and awesome word. result in some undercounting of relationships. So... Um, Additionally, the 0.2% estimate is based on studies that were conducted in the U.S. between 1941 and 1981, so they're a bit dated, but Dear Mona, just Mona, I don't know why I keep saying Dear Mona, um, <laughs> emailed a professor at the Center for Human Genetics, and he said that he actually believes these relationships between relatives may be on the rise in America because of immigration, and he says immigration is relevant because consanguinity is much more common in other countries hmm you think that's i i don't know i think my deduction of that would be just offhand would be probably that uh smaller land masses more um homogeneous kind of a makeup so there's less choice maybe i don't know well australia it has uh, an estimated 0.5 percent of all marriages are consanguineous wow even more so maybe Maybe not. Hmm. I don't know about your theory. <laughs> Once again, shot down by Brittany Page. So that's interesting. I, I, I think that's also very uh, coincidental that that came up right around the time that we were talking about cousin fuckers, you know, being in California. All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess we'll move on since Brittany Page has a little bit of an issue with my choice of words related to the fact that California allows first cousins to marry and fuck one another. Class, class, class. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Jeb Bush is having another bad week, this time related to an interview he did with Megyn Kelly, where she asked him, knowing everything we know today, would you still invade Iraq? To which he answered, yes. So CNN put a little bit of a thing together because he's been backpedaling from that answer and trying to restructure his original answer. Day four and a fourth attempt at answering the question, knowing what we know today, would he have invaded Iraq? If we're all supposed to answer hypothetical questions, knowing what we know now, what would you have done? I would have not engaged, I would not have gone into Iraq. 
Jeb Bush offered that clarification without even being asked. Days of mixed messages about his Iraq position, such a problem, it was actually being discussed on The View on the television right above him as he spoke in Arizona today. He's between a rock and a hard place. The confusion stems from this on Fox Monday. And so, so would have Hillary Clinton, just to remind everybody. This on Tuesday. I don't know what that decision would have been. That's a hypothetical. And this on Wednesday. Given the, the power of uh, looking back and having that, of course, Anybody would have made different decisions. Even Bush supporters scratched their heads, baffled that someone named Bush, whose brother's legacy was marred by invading Iraq based on faulty intelligence, was not better prepared to give his position. Sources close to Jeb say it's hard for him to throw his brother under the bus, which even he admitted. I don't go out of my way to disagree with my brother. I I am loyal to him. Um, I don't think it's necessary to go through every place where I disagree with him. Jeb Bush's GOP opponents, free of his family ties, are eager to show they can finesse it, especially Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush's protege. I do not believe that if the, that if the, intelligence, if the intelligence had said Iraq, Iraq does not have a weapon of mass destruction capability, I don't believe President Bush would have authorized to move forward. More proof of how hard it will be to run for president as a Bush... So I think the the wisest thing that was uh, talked about in this piece, and I agree, is I'll take it a little further. It's again, I've talked about that. I don't think that he's necessarily ready for prime time right now. And this goes to that point that he doesn't have the campaign structure. And I'm not talking about the actual infrastructure from state to state and the organizational structure. I mean, he doesn't have the people in place to to advise him and prepare him because this is the first question that he should have been ready for is, hey, would you have done exactly what your brother did relative to Iraq? I mean, he's going to be grilled. Listen, if it's starting this early before he's even announced that he's officially running for president, where does he think this is going? This is <laughs> it's only the beginning. Right. So. I don't know. I I think it's problematic that this early on he's stumbling and stuttering and whether it's not listening carefully enough to the questions that are asked in order to answer them or whether it's just that he's trying to be shifty, you're not going to be able to be shifty. You might be able to be shifty as as a Democrat. I mean, Hillary gets a lot more passes, I believe, Um one, because she's a woman, two, because she's a Democrat and people just are fond, more fond of her. But you're not going to get a pass as a Bush, as a, especially the brother of George W. Bush, who did some questionable things and made some choices that made people very unhappy. Right. Because we don't want a repeat of the second Bush presidency. Mm-hmm. We just don't want it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a problem. Well, some people might want a repeat. Yeah, not me. Uh, Second up on the Dollamocracy docket would be George Stephanopoulos, who used to be a Clinton employee Mm. in the Bill Clinton White House. He is now an anchor on ABC. Yes. And apparently has given between $50,000 and $75,000 in donations to the Clinton Foundation in support of fighting AIDS. Well, he has done several interviews with the Clintons about the foundation. He has done several news stories about the foundation. And in none of those pieces did he disclose the fact that he has given money, personal money, to support the, the, the Clinton Global Initiative. And it's come out. 
people are unhappy about it, and he had to apologize. Now I want to address some news you may have seen about me. Over the last several years, I've made substantial donations to dozens of charities, including the Clinton Global Foundation. Those donations were a matter of public record, but I should have made additional disclosures on air when we covered the foundation. And I now believe that directing personal donations to that foundation was a mistake. Even though I made them strictly support work done to stop the spread of AIDS, help children, and protect the environment in poor countries, I should have gone the extra mile to avoid even the appearance of a conflict. I apologize to all of you for failing to do that. I take him at his word. I mean, I do think that he made a decision not to disclose the fact. But I take him at his word that that his money was meaningful and that he really does want to combat the spread of AIDS in the third world. Um, I also don't think that this is as problematic for Hillary Clinton, or obviously Bill Clinton at all, than it is for him. In an age where journalists are under scrutiny to to be honest like they should, you know, with the, in the wake of the the Brian Williams fiasco, he's he should have he should be more open and honest because it represents a possible bias to the Clintons for a- the Clintons, absolutely, and which he already faces because he used to fucking work for them. Right. So some people have been writing columns about how this maybe isn't such a big deal. And I think their reasoning is because, well, it's for philanthropic purposes and not supporting, you know, their election goals or whatever. I think there's something to be said for that, but it also points to his journalistic integrity. Charity or not, the disclosures... Listen, even Fox News... Even Fox News discloses the fact anytime they have a story from or about the Wall Street Journal, the the talking heads at Fox News always say, in the spirit of full disclosure, this company, the, the Wall Street Journal is owned by our parent company, News Corp, because Rupert Murdoch owns both Fox News and the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Even they do that. And the reason I... Even they. <laughs> well, the reason I say that is because... Oftentimes, Fox is is known as having less integrity or less journalistic standards right. than other networks. I don't know that that's necessarily true on the news side, but it's the perception. So they go out of their way to do it, as well they should. And this didn't take George Stephanopoulos by surprise because he's a journalist. He understands the game. He understands the rules. They're all well aware of what they need to do. So it's good that he apologized. I think it's a non-starter where it relates to Hillary Clinton, though. So So here's another thing I'm seeing all the time. The phrase trigger warning. Trigger warning apparently is a warning in the onset before you read a book, before you watch a TV show, before you listen to a lecture, whatever, that would warn you there's going to be content therein that might trigger in you bad memories of something that happened to you in the past, like a PTSD episode. For instance, let's say that you're going to watch a a Lifetime movie on television about child abuse, horrific child abuse, and they want to leave a message of caution for the viewer for the consumer of that media, that there, therein there will be depictions of child abuse 
discussions of child abuse, the issue of child abuse will be readily available. So they want to warn you so you can make the choice of whether or not to view said material because you're too fragile to face it without a warning. That is what a trigger warning is. Well, apparently this is all the rage right now on college campuses, Columbia University in particular. Right. So the latest issue is with Ovid's Metamorphosis. And this is a Greek classic. Yeah. And students, four students wrote an op-ed for the Columbia Spector saying that they want trigger warnings, that they want professors to be trained on how to handle situations where students may want a trigger warning. They want them to essentially go through like a sensitivity training type thing. Okay. So metamorphosis, like most Greek and Roman literature details certain rapes that were central to the ancient mythology. In one story, a woman named Philomena is raped by her sister's husband who after the act cuts out her tongue to keep her silent. Another woman named Lucretia kills herself after being raped so as to preserve her family's reputation, an event that acts as the catalyst for overthrowing the monarchy in favor of a Roman Republic. Okay. So those things were problematic for a student in class when a discussion ensued about this poem and about the sexual assaults that occurred in the poem. Mm -hmm. The student felt uncomfortable because she had been a victim of sexual assault. She approached the professor. Isn't the language being used that she felt unsafe? She felt unsafe. Right. So she approached the professor and the professor essentially brushed her off, dismissed her feelings, and that angered her. And so now students are trying to champion this cause. Can I jump in here? Yes. Here's my thing. Listen, I think we're creating too sanitized uh, an environment, especially in academia, because everyone should be challenged. And I'm not saying let's first get out of the way that I'm, of course, Brittany, very sympathetic to the the plight of, of any victim. I am too. I'm not saying that her concern about the 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 her her psychic damage is unfounded. Of course, if she ha- if she is exhibiting symptoms or suffers from post traumatic stress disorder, that is a serious thing. It can be debilitating. I know lots of guys with whom I served in the Marine Corps who have it, who suffer a lot. So I'm not making light of that. What I'm saying is that we are creating to everything a safe space. Listen, the world is a diverse place where bad things happen. The world isn't this sanitized existence where we all live in this utopic realm where nothing bad happens. You're going to walk through life. You're going to see car wrecks on the side of the road, and that might trigger your car wreck PTSD. You're going to watch the news and hear about children who are brutally abused, women who are raped, bad things that happen, the heads that are being sawed off of Coptic Christians in Egypt at the hands of ISIL. And you're going to see terrible things. You cannot be insulated from it. So Jerry Coyne wrote an article. Jerry Coyne is awesome. For the New Republic, and it's titled, Life is Triggering, the Best Literature Should Be Too. And 
I'm just going to read a couple of things that he said in his article. Okay. He says that professor was clearly wrong to dismiss the student and perhaps he or she might have mentioned beforehand that there is violence and sexual assault in Ovid. But that's as far as I'd go. After all, what body of literature, including the Bible and the Muslim Hadith, doesn't mention violence and sexual assault? The Bible even sanctions rape. Should divinity schools put trigger warnings on the Old Testament? I'm sorry about the student who couldn't abide the mention of sexual assault, but she should be getting help for her triggering from a therapist, not from a professor. Without such help, she'll go through life triggered by every magazine and newspaper she sees. I think that is very wise. He says the pathway of such trigger warnings, not just for sexual assault, but for violence, bigotry, and racism will eventually lead to every work of literature being labeled as potentially offensive. There goes the Bible. There goes Dante. There goes Huck Finn, loaded with racism. There goes all the old literature written before we realized that minorities, women, and gays weren't second-class people. And as for violence and hatred, well, they're everywhere, for they're just as much a part of literature as parts of life. Crime and punishment? Trigger warning. Brutal violence against an old woman. The Great Gatsby? Trigger warning. Violence against women. The Inferno? Trigger warning. Graphic violence, sodomy, and torture. The list goes on. Of course. Well, I mean, listen, he's he's obviously a, a well-respected intellectual, and he, he's able to find an economy of words in language to to get his point across in far fewer words than I would be able to. So I'm thankful for him for that. So he also says, as someone who's culturally Jewish, I've deliberately read anti-Semitic books like Mein Kampf, watched movies like Triumph of the Will, and read triggering material like The Diary of Anne Frank, trigger warning, anti-Semitism. I've deliberately visited Auschwitz to see what it was like parenthetically, immensely disturbing and unforgettable, everyone should go. And I've read accounts of its inmates, like Primo Levi's moving survival in Auschwitz. All of that saddened me, deeply upset me, and brought me to tears. But I am glad I did it, for in a way it's enriched my life. It's awakened me to not only what decent people are capable of under the right circumstances, but also to how humans can, in impossible situations, function and survive or die with bravery. So I think that he's he's making a lot of good points. And I do too. We need to be sympathetic to people that are are suffering and that have gone through trauma, but at the same time, that's no way to go through life, right? You went through a trauma and now every day you have to walk on eggshells, fearful of what might be said around you, fearful of what might be said in a classroom, fearful of what someone may be saying at the grocery store. Because you're going to be triggered by it. Now, instead of expecting everyone to not have conversations or put trigger warnings on everything, the expectation should be that that those individuals get help. And Absolutely. it's not it's not negative. It's not trying to bully people. It's not trying to say that they're lesser than or that they're wussies or whatever it is. It's just that's no way to go through life. So. If I'm hearing you right, let me. Tr so, you, what you're saying is, if you are at a place post trauma that you need a trigger warning, that just means you've not dealt with your trauma effectively and you need therapy or you need some kind of healing because a trigger warning is a fucking band aid. I is that kind of what you're getting at? Um, yeah, I, I guess. And well, it's put in Jesse D words, right? <laughs> 
so I mean, and I don't want to just talk, you know, anecdotally based on my own personal experience and think that that should be generalized to everybody. But I know that as someone who um, suffered with PTSD, I still am triggered, I guess you could say, by certain movies that depict certain things or, but, but. I don't necessarily know what triggering means because if it's just a reminder, well, we're always going to have that. People- you're, ne- you're never going to forget the your past trauma. Right. Even, you know, like you said, car accidents or anything, anything that can be considered a trauma. You're always going to be reminded of that when you see something that reminds you of it. Right. And the issue is being able to be in those situations, being reminded of it and just thinking, yeah, I'm being reminded of that, but that's okay. And I can continue to be in this conversation. I can continue to watch this movie. I can continue to read this. I'm okay. Right. And if you're not in that place, it's terrible. I know what it's like to be there and there's a way to overcome that. But a professor is probably not the best person to approach about that. And they should be nicer when someone comes up and says, I feel uncomfortable with this conversation taking place. You know, they could say, I would love to hear you contribute something to the conversation. You could say you feel uncomfortable, like let's talk about it. Um, and also there is a counseling center on campus and I, think I can refer you there. Yeah, I think that's probably the the way to go is, well, class is going to continue as scheduled because this is important material and it's part of the curriculum. Um, but maybe you should go see someone to deal with your almost phobic nature about reading classic Greek literature. And it's not negative. Like people, I keep seeing comments that not acquiescing to people's wishes in this realm is bullying that it's, you mean by, by not wanting to put a trigger warning that, that act in in and of itself is bullying? Is that what they're saying? Yes, and I've heard people say that this is the privileged class taking advantage of those who are not privileged. So it's also becoming a privileged Uh, debate. Goddamn. It's it's this. We we, we don't live in this antiseptic world. You can't scrub every bad thing out of our daily experiences. So what I what I was trying to say is that they're talking about privilege in terms of it's the people who haven't experienced this that don't understand. And I'm saying as someone who has experienced it and does understand. Well, I don't understand everybody, but I've experienced it. So one would think that maybe I do. Um, I still feel that trigger warnings are not necessary. So it's not a privilege conversation and not it's not just people who haven't experienced things trying to bully people who have. Well, I don't see it as that. Wrapping the topic up because we need to move on. Maybe they, if they, we'll put it this way. If they are necessary, you've got more work ahead of you. And the more important thing to do would not be put a trigger warning on it for you. It would be go in and get the help you need to deal with your problems rather than avoiding them. Because a trigger warning is going to allow you to skirt um, confrontation of your problem and therapy or whatever treatment is going to help you face and deal with and heal properly. So moving on. Maybe this should have been at the top of the show, but this the Pew research that was released, the religious landscape study that they do every few years, uh, has caused quite the uproar. Uh, Bill Maher talked about it on his show on Friday, 
and last week, just days after, maybe the day after, dumb dumb Bill O'Reilly talked about it on his show and had a very unique take on their findings. In his talking points segment, he had a very unique take on the subject matter. And I want to preface the clip that I'm getting ready to play by saying this, because I don't believe our audience are, are com uh, compulsive or habitual Fox News listeners. Whenever Bill O'Reilly talks about talk the talking points memo as though it's some other person, <laughs> well, talking points believes, blah, 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 uh, he's talking about himself. It's rather than saying, I believe this and I believe that, he uses the term talking points. So with that information, let's move on. On the religious front, another poll very provocative. According to a Pew Research study of more than 35,000 American adults, Christianity's on the decline. 2007, 78.4% of Americans described themselves as Christian. Last year, 214. That number drops to 70.6%. Among the non-Christian faiths, Jewish Americans up slightly, Muslims up half a percentage point to just under 1% of the population. However, the biggest growing segment of religion, those who reject it. Atheists, agnostic, nothing, up 50% to 22.8% of the population now. So what's happening? There's no question that people of faith are being marginalized by a secular media and pernicious entertainment. The rap industry, for example, often glorifies depraved behavior, and that sinks into the minds of some young people, the group that is most likely to reject religion. Also, many movies and TV shows promote non-traditional values. Truth is, if you are a person of faith, the media generally thinks you are a loon. The prevailing wisdom, especially among young Americans, is whatever's good for me is good, period. The overall good be damned, pardon the pun. We see that reflected in the attitude on drugs. There's a strong move to legalize them and decriminalize even the sale of poisons like heroin and cocaine. Any student of history knows that when a nation turns inward towards the pursuit of individual gratification, the country's in trouble. Rome, the best example. The citizens there ultimately rejected sacrificing for their republic, for their republic, I should say, and the empire collapsed. Talking Points believes the same thing is happening in America today, but it can be fixed if the electorate finally wakes up. That is a big if. The main reason Christianity is on the decline is poor leadership and corruption within the Catholic Church. The priest scandal devastated the Catholic landscape in America. Although the Founding Fathers wanted freedom of religion, they did not want a secular nation. That's clear in the writings of Jefferson and Madison. The founders believing that a strong moral code put forth by religion protects people from harm and avarice. Adding it all up, there's no question the country is changing for the worse. And that's why the upcoming election is perhaps the most important presidential vote in our lifetime. And that's the memo. Every presidential election after the previous one is the most important election in our lifetime. Every time, every election, last election, Brittany, I don't know if you know this, it was the most important election of your lifetime. Right. And the one before that, oh my God, it was also the most important election of your lifetime. Right. <laughs> it's weird to me that Bill O'Reilly, who is not a dumb guy, can be this woefully out of touch on this subject. Right. I mean, he's he's conflating. Well, let me put it this way. I reject religion. 
not because of rap music or heroin and cocaine, because I participate in none of those. <laughs> I don't do hard drugs. I don't even smoke pot. I don't listen to rap music, so that can't be blamed. My atheism, my lack of belief in gods can only be attributed to my inability to believe in the existence of any gods. That's it. That's the sum and substance of it. No. It's it's ridiculous. And then he's talking about depravity. Oh, it's it's these depraved whatever. I I don't live a depraved life. I don't live what exactly does he mean by depravity? How is he defining that? Just not believing in God, that's depraved? Right. Well, it's also annoying that he's saying that those in the secular group have a viewpoint of whatever's good for me is good for everyone. I see the exact opposite of that. And projecting it onto everyone else. Well, you could say the same of religious people. Yeah. Because they believe that they're getting their moral code and their answers from their God when when they're not right and <laughs> right. they believe that well this is what's right and this is what needs to happen everywhere uh hence gay marriage right well which group because every single group has a different viewpoint on what's right and, and that's, what's moral yeah even within the the same sect so for example mormons you are going to have a great variation in political affiliation what they believe is moral and not moral even right. though they have a a book from which they derive their values there are still great variation within that group of what their values are sure so it's hard to make such a general statement especially when he said the non-affiliated group is atheists agnostics and people who are just not traditionally religious they don't belong to a religion right well, well what he didn't say was what was the statistic that 55 percent of the nuns still pray every day something right. like that right so this isn't people i mean this isn't representative of atheists right. atheists are a very tiny percentage of that non-affiliated unaffiliated no, the nuns as as we were talking about last time Right. So they just don't want to say I'm a Catholic. Right. These are the people in my survey research that don't want to just put themselves in a box. They're sort of something kind of once in a while, every day and now and then. Right. 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 When he's talking about depraved behavior, that could be said of anybody, really. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he mentions the Catholic Church, the the Catholic Church. What's what's going on over there? There's well, a lot of child abuse. There's a lot of covering up of child abuse. There's a lot of spreading the child abusers around so they can abuse more children. Well, I mean, according to Bill O'Reilly, and I found this funny, it's that's not depravity, Brittany Page. That's just lack of leadership, is what he said. Right. And here's the other thing: is I like how he ascribes the downfall of Christianity in America strictly solely. He didn't say anything else other than this. Based on a lack of leadership in the Catholic Church. Catholics, I would be willing to bet they don't even make up 25% of the Christian landscape in, in the United States. They fell to third with unaffiliated moving into second. They're about 20.8%, I believe. <laughs> so he's, he's giving a large amount of power and influence uh, to Catholics, to, oh, to Catholicism, is, when they're not even... Is Bill a Catholic? Yeah, oh, yeah, really? Oh. Weird. Oh, <laughs> is that why he's attributing so much right, to Right, right, because okay. they, they influence him. But like you said, it's not the brutal rape and systematic abuse of thousands of innocent children 
That's not depravity, Brittany Page. That's just lack of leadership. Are you fucking kidding me, Bill O'Reilly? What is your... What is going on? Maybe he's the one doing the hard drugs because he's clearly not thinking right. Well, I'm just sick of this argument because a belief in God does not automatically make you a moral person. In fact, I think that we're slowly going... We're slowly going away from that. But for a long time, people would say, I'm a Christian or I'm a believer in God as a way to define them as a moral person. Well, it's not doing that anymore because you see people every day in the news that are believers that are doing terrible things. And And it just just isn't. Oftentimes using their religion as an excuse. Right. As their get out of free their get out of jail free card. Right. So when Bill O'Reilly additionally, when Bill O'Reilly says that non-traditional values that you see in media and all this are being pushed onto young people and this is causing their lack of belief in gods, don't see it as a negative. Don't see a problem in that. Non-traditional values, what are those? Because if traditional values are marriage is between a man and a woman, we need to read the Bible every day. We need to keep religion in schools. If these are the if, traditional if, values. Yeah. If, if, virgins, if virgins get raped, they need to be forced to marry their rapist and pay the father of the rape victim. That's traditional values, if you want to look at it. I mean, he's out of his goddamn mind. Ugh. Speaking of out of the, his goddamn mind, you would be out of your goddamn mind if you didn't go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page... And find your way to Amazon through the Amazon search bar. If you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon, we're not asking you to spend any more than you normally would. We would really love you and appreciate you in a grand manner if you would use the Amazon search bar at dollamore.com. Every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news News. and ridiculous comments. In this edition of Florida Files, we're going to talk about a teacher at an elementary school who encountered a child on free reading time reading the Bible and demanded that he turn it in and put it on her desk. A fifth grade kid in South Florida getting a whole lot of attention tonight. Says people talking. His family decided to battle the teacher who told him he couldn't read his Bible at school. Fox's Robin Simmons reports. It all started with a book like the one sold here at By Faith Christian Bookstore. Less than a mile away at Park Lakes Elementary on April 8th, this fifth grader pulled out chosen material for free reading time. Then she said, Giovanni, what book is that? That's when he says the teacher asked him twice to put the Bible on her desk, and he refused. And she told me to get my dad on the phone. Here's the voicemail she left. Good morning, Mr. Rubio, Mrs. Thomas. Uh, uh, Giovanni called you because I asked him to. I noticed that he has a book, a religious book, in the classroom. He's not permitted to read those books in my classroom. He said, if I told him to put it away, you you said not to do that. So please give me a call. I need to have some understanding on direction to him about the book he's reading as opposed to the curriculum for public school. Mrs. F. Thomas, thank you and have a wonderful day. Any parent wants to protect their child, and there comes a point in life where you have to stand up for what's right and what's wrong, 
when somebody's civil rights and constitutional rights are being violated and it happens to be your child, I'm sure any one of you would do that for someone you love. The district sent a letter April 16th saying any student had the right to read religious material before or after class, but a statement put out May 5th reads, Broward County Public Schools respects and upholds the rights of students to bring personal religious materials to school, including the Bible, and to read these items before school, after school, or during any free reading time during the school day. This information has been communicated to the parents of the student involved in this situation. Liberty Institute, an advocacy group which says its mission is to restore religious liberty across the U.S., got involved. They and the family say they want an apology. When a teacher goes to the length of calling the student to the front of the class and calling his parents while the students look on and leaving this voicemail that says, hey, look, you can't read religious books in my classroom, that is a gross violation of the First Amendment, the Constitution. I want the school to send me an apology and let me read my Bible during free reading time. That was Robin Simmons reporting. Now, the attorney for the family says if the district tries to ignore or dismiss the situation, they're prepared to file a lawsuit. It's unclear if Rubio will actually get an apology from the teacher. Do you think I'm out of line when I say, who fucking cares? Who cares if this kid reads his Bible on free reading time in class? Yeah, I don't I don't see a problem. I mean, I don't see a problem with him reading the Bible in class. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's truly free time and it's the the material he chooses to read, leave him alone. And also, I find it odd. I listening to that voicemail. The teacher at the end signs off like she's signing off on a letter signed Mrs. S. Thomas. Like at the very end, she's just like Mrs. S. Thomas. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, she's super important. Very weird. It's almost like that character in Big Love. Very truly yours, Hollis Green. You know, the one weirdo. You know, that's very inside inside joke here since I'm not sure everybody has watched. <laughs> I've watched the whole thing and I do not remember that. Oh, so right? there you go. Well, anyway, big deal. Who cares? What's going on in Florida? You know what I mean? The, 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 the school district first tries to support the teacher and then they pull back and say, oh, actually, you know, uh, no, no, no. In free time, he can read the Bible. It's fine. It just, fuck. It's too much weird hypersensitivity. You're not forcing him to read the Bible. He's choosing to do so. If the kids are allowed to read whatever they want to that's appropriate for school, and the Bible is certainly an appropriate free choice, then let him do it. Where I do have a problem was with this family and that, well, if the school district tries to ignore this and not deal with our, our request here, we're going to file a lawsuit. They've already dealt with it. They've already told you it's okay. A mistake was made and where they're going to move forward doing the right thing. You don't need, so they have to grovel and beg at your feet and give you an apology. No damage was done here. You know what I mean? Yeah, no real damage was done. I mean, she was ridiculous about making the phone call in front of class and sure. she overreacted. But I mean, well, I mean, in a court of law, you need to show what your damages are so something can be awarded. You. Right. What would what damages would they show? None. Uh, yeah. I mean, emotional distress because he got embarrassed in front of the class. I think that that goes to the teacher and she made a bad choice, bad judgment on her part. To, to make that phone call in front of the class to try to embarrass the kid, which is just a way to 
to force his hand and make him make the decision on his own just based on coercion. Right. It's lame. But I don't know if, that it's lawsuit worthy. So anyway, ugh. here's another ugh for you. There's a guy named Herb Titus who was a lawyer and right wing nutter butter religious activist. And he appeared on Rick Wiles, another one of our very fond, fondly thought of truth wieners. You know, it's weird when they have these Christian radio shows. I wonder what percentage of time is spent talking about homosexuality, gay sex, and and men and women marrying one another. You know what I mean? Because he, uh, he appeared on the Rick Wiles show. True News, I think is the name of it. Mm-hmm. True, just T-R-U. Yes. News. Yes. <laughs> And they had a discussion about what would what gay marriage in this country would lead to. That's basically what they're saying, is there are certain things, if you believe certain things, then those things are so uh, an- anathema to uh, the people of America that it's unethical, and therefore you cannot serve as a judge, you can't serve as a lawyer, you can't serve as a doctor. And all of these professions are tightly licensed and controlled by the government. So it's conceivable that a young man or woman wants to enter medical school, become a doctor, and they're going to be ordered to state that they support the homosexual rights agenda. And basically, they're renouncing their Christian faith. And if they don't do it, they will not be given access to the to the college. Yes, or take, for example, uh, law school. In order to be accredited, you have to meet certain standards. And if this becomes a standard, that is, you can't discriminate against people who are openly living a, uh, a sexual promiscuous lifestyle, uh, then you can't be an accredited law school, and therefore your, graduate, your graduates can't take the law bar examination. That's not a, a, you know, not a remote possibility. That's a very real possibility. And once that occurs, then you don't even have lawyers to defend uh, the churches and the educational uh, organizations. And so uh, organizations like the American Center for Law and Justice, the uh, Liberty Council, the Alliance for Defending Freedom, uh, basically would dry up and go away. So Christians would eventually be reduced to the uh, social status of gypsies. Well, we'll become slaves. We'll become, uh, you know, and very much in the Islamic uh, tradition that uh, you you basically are fined or you're taxed uh, uh, if you're going to live, but you better keep your mouth shut because if you don't, uh, we'll kill you. <laughs> what is he talking about? He's the most dramatic person on earth. It is bizarre. Because first of all, he, he talked about college accreditation for law schools. That you would not be an accredited university to teach law if this gay marriage become, becomes law of the land. You And he used these words. You can't discriminate against someone who is living an openly promiscuous lifestyle. So because they would be held to a standard of not discriminating, that is a bad thing. Again, I don't understand how by not allowing someone to discriminate against a class of people, you're holding them back. You're taking away their liberty. You're taking away their rights. It's just fucking bizarre. And then the other thing at the end there, holy shit, are you kidding me? That he he drops all the buzzwords. We're going to be slaves. Christians will be slaves. 
And then, of course, he's got to bring Islam into it because that's the that's the hot button, make everybody afraid word that they will be killed or taxed. He, he covered all the bases. Oh, and slaved. Yeah. Enslaved. S- slaves, taxation, mm-hmm. and Islam. Yes. <laughs> the perfect wow. The perfect trifecta to terrify everyone that's listening to that show. Unbelievable. Who's listening to that show? Um, Not me. I don't know. Not me. We I should get know. Rick Wiles on the show and talk about what a freak show he's got over there. Yeah. Yikes. Anything else before I move on to our final final segment i don't think so all right taking care of biz hinge 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 like a like a door hinge yes but no because it's a dating app So, Hinge, a dating app, never heard of it, released an update on Thursday that immediately made public users' relationship statuses public. Well, they're on a dating app. Wouldn't their 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 public uh, status be single? Um, no. Oh, right. We just did that story about Tinder, that like almost fifty percent of their users are in a relationship and trying to get a little strange on the side. Right. Hinge says the decision was actually in response to that poll that found that 42% of Tinder users are already in relationships. They found that 1.6 of Hinge users are married or engaged. That's a low number, but they still want to make sure that Hinge... 1.6%? Yes. Okay. That's a low number, but they sure want to make sure that Hinge remains a place for people looking for dates and relationships, not people looking to uh, just harm other human beings. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand how it works because how did they... When you sign up for a dating site, you're not you're not going to provide the fact that you're married or in a relationship unless it's like Ashley Madison, that that adultery site. I mean, how did they find out the the particular marital status or relationship status of these particular users? So when you sign up for Hinge, you have to give authorization for access to your Facebook profile. Mm. So people okay. probably forgot or maybe just didn't consider that that might be a possible yeah, yeah. variable in the future that it's connected to your Facebook profile. That also includes your relationship status. So sure. they also said that this isn't just for getting the people that are in relationships off of their dating app. It's also for people who are in fake relationships on Facebook. So with their best friend or you know, those in a complicated relationship with your best friend or whatever. So for those people, it just prompts them to accurately reflect what their relationship is. So they aren't. Well, listen, I think that this is probably a marketing move because they're going to bolster the numbers of users of their app because everyone will know it's a safe place or a safer place to go and, and find you know, a date that is maybe going to lead to something and not adultery or cheating. I mean, that's, I think, probably a common concern for women is this guy that I just met on this whatever site actually single or is he just bullshitting around? Well, and that's why sites like Ashley Madison exist. So if you go to Ashley Madison, it's 
everybody on there is wanting to yeah, have an affair. You know what you're getting. So just go where everybody wants to have an affair rather than going on a, an app and then trying to find someone who actually is looking for a relationship right. and doesn't want to be involved in your chaotic life situation. Well, so like I, what I guess what I'm getting at is even if it was a, a marketing decision, they're still doing the right thing. And, you know, I guess ultimately they're taking care of biz in both ways. They're taking care of their biz. And then they're also taking care of biz to to try to lessen the scourge of, of cheating and adultery and, you know, generally treating one another poorly in the world today. Right. Because when you make a commitment to someone, you know, your word is is important and not hurting them or potentially hurting them and putting them at risk of sexually transmitted to fucking gross bullshit it's a it's a good thing to to try to champion that so taking care of biz hinge the dating app with a little heart <laughs> do they have a slogan do you know i do not know i did not visit the website or look further into the dating app you didn't you're not using it no Brittany page that's not doing your due diligence. I thought you maybe would have gotten some dates out of the deal, huh? Mm. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to leave you. We appreciate you tuning in twice a week or as much as you do. We love you. We appreciate you. If you have anything to add, if you have anything you disagreed with, which of course is the best part because that really helps us move the conversation forward, please sound off. 657-464-7609 or as always you can send us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com until next time for Brittany Page I am Jesse Dollamore and this has been I Doubt It now you've just painted yourself right into a shit corner 